Hello and welcome to episode 9 of The List Makers, a mini podcast from the Doctor Who show, where we take a top 5 topic, each make our lists and discuss them. But there are no hard and fast rules, it's all about the chat. Hello, I'm Dave. And I'm Rob. And in this episode, we're talking top 5 classic Who writers. Mm. The format's the same as always, however, we'll give our lists uninterrupted and then we'll compare notes. Now, Rob, recently we had our biggest set of snaps ever. <laughs> we did. I'm quietly predicting this could be a snaptastic episode. Yeah, 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 yeah okay. <laughs> but but we may have each gone in some different directions within that. I don't know. I could be completely wrong. Let's dive in. Rob, it's your turn to go first. Would you like to make your list of top five classic Who writers? I would love to, Dave. Coming in at number five, and I think this is where we'll probably snap the least, I'm going to slip in Ben Aronovich. And this is probably surprising because in truth, I couldn't have him any higher than five in my list because he only did two stories back in the classic era. And one of them, Battlefield, doesn't actually do it for me. I know you quite like it, Dave, but it doesn't do it for me. However, he's here because he single-handedly reignited Doctor Who for me with Remembrance. Now, that might sound weird. So let me say, yes, I was in my mad ferret stage at the time. And in truth, <laughs> any, anything on television, Doctor Who-wise, I would have watched it. But at the back of my mind in this era, I would think, even as an 11-year-old, 12-year-old, 13-year-old, I would think this show could be pretty bloody awful, can't it? You know, I would have that thought to myself. Then Remembrance came along, and good Lord, it showed what Doctor Who could be, even in the 80s, even on those dodgy budgets. The story still holds up today, so he makes the list just for doing that. Nice. In at number four, Malcolm Hulk. Uh, when it comes to Doctor Who being political, Mac Hulk is the granddaddy of them all. He's certainly not the only Who writer to do politics, but I think the writer who most consistently wheedled politics into everything he did. And, you know, despite being of the left, I think the way he did his politics wasn't the, shall we say, subtle as a sledgehammer style that modern writers seem to do, where they'll do something ridiculously heavy-handed and then have one of the characters virtually turn to camera and remind you that, yes, I just did something political there in case you missed it. You know, yeah. Hulk's writing was much smarter than that. Uh, I mean, think of, there's the faceless ones. I mean, he did that with David Ellis. Uh, War Games, he did with Terence Dix. Silurians, Sea Devils, Invasion of the Dinosaurs. There's, there's more. You know, he is just a great classic era writer. So he makes the list. In at number three, I've put Terence Dix. Now, while Terence was a script editor on Doctor Who and as such didn't write a lot of TV stories, the ones he did write, like The War Games with Malcolm Hulk, who we just mentioned, or Robot, Horror Fang, Rock State of Decay, Five Doctors, are all pretty major damn stories. And I left Brain of Morbius off that list as it was extensively rewritten, you know, but that's a whole other story. But it's an example of something he was involved with. But, you know, as well as his script editing and the actual stories he wrote that I've just mentioned. I think we can't talk about classic era writers without Terence getting a shout out for his work on the Target novels, you know, and I can just go on autopilot here, you know, he he taught so many of us to read. He he made simple rewrites of scripts extremely engaging, you know, and the bloke was just so lovely, you know, etc, etc. So Terence Dick's in at number three. In at number two, I've put Douglas Adams. 
Ooh. How can we have a man like Douglas Adams write for the series and not have him on this list? I mean, granted, his stories and his era as a script editor can be very Marmite for people, even something that can change for people over time. As a, as a more serious fan, when I was young, I was mostly aghast at the Adams era. It was, you know, silly. And, and Doctor Who couldn't be silly. <laughs> I was so determined on this idea that I could actually read Hitchhiker's Guide or watch the Hitchhiker's Guide TV series and think that was absolutely hilarious. So it wasn't a beef with his style. I actually liked his style. I got it. It made me laugh. But in terms of Doctor Who, no way you couldn't do that. But once I'd grown up and parts of me had mellowed, I can now watch his era on the show and just luxuriate in it. You know, that's pretty weird, hey? Uh, <laughs> yes. And in at number one, this is going to be no surprise to anybody, I've put Bob Holmes. I, I know there's probably some contrarian out there living on Mars who would say, no way is Bob Holmes the best classic writer. And indeed, you know, how does he even make your top five? I understand such people might exist. <laughs> but I think for most people, and certainly for me, the stories Holmes wrote and the ones he script edited are among the best of the classic era. You know, you can't watch slabs of classic who and not be watching something he's been involved with, especially during Tom's era. He's there for the big stuff. I can read off names like Spearhead from Space, Terror of the Ordons, Carnival of Monsters, Ark in Space, Pyramids of Mars, Deadly Assassin, Towns of Wang Chang, Case of Androzani. Bob is great. Full stop. That's a pretty strong list there, Rob. Thank you very much. Uh, it is snappy, but I wouldn't say quite snaptastic. That's excellent. That is, that is. We'll see how many snaps we have. But uh, there are snaps, but we'll, as I say, we'll see how many there are. Uh, I will launch into making my list and then we'll do our discussion, as always. Now, I am invoking the no hard and fast rules and going for a top six on this occasion. <laughs> okay. As I occasionally do, and I, I really had to on this one. Um, I'll start off with number six, the person who I, I just couldn't in all conscience leave off the list, and that's John Lucarotti. Ah, uh, Yes. Uh, look, I know that he's probably not on everybody's top five list, probably not on a lot of fans' top five lists in many ways, but the stories that he wrote are favourites of mine. Uh, the Aztecs, The Massacre, and particularly Marco Polo, I just think they are some of the best scripted Doctor Who of all time. They are wonderful, poetic, balletic, character-driven, uh, in the case of Marco Polo, particularly geographically epic uh they are just wonderful evocations of a historical events and so i had to have him down there mm -hmm. for his three stories number five uh this will come as no surprise i think to people who are long-time listeners of the podcast i have put in here terry nation fair very fair i am as i think you know rob and i think many of our listeners know a, a real fan of terry nation's style of writing it's a fan love of his that that extends to a lot of his other work particularly obviously black seven which i'm a huge fan of but every one of terry nation's adventures is at least that it is a really good fun adventure uh, you can't ignore the fact that he created the daleks either that is a big big thing and it came out of his philosophy as a writer that anything can happen in the world i create and, and should happen and that that inventiveness coupled with a real spirit of adventure is really good and look he did write what is often praised by fans as being a top, potentially top number one story, Genesis of the Daleks. So mm -hmm. I think for that alone, he deserves to be up there. Uh, continuing on with a Dalek theme, at number four, I have David Whittaker. Again, reflecting probably my love of the 
uh, 60s era of classic Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Whitaker wrote Power of the Daleks. He wrote Evil of the Daleks. He wrote The Crusade. And and just like you said with Robert Holmes and Terence Dix, when you look at their script editing work as well, when you look at the role that David Whitaker played in the writing of so many of those early seasons of Doctor Who, that I think also has to count in there. So great stories that he's written himself, a great script editor, a great writer, David Whitaker. Number three is another personal pick that will be on some people's lists, but perhaps not widely on a number of lists, and that is Chris Boucher. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I'm a fan of Chris Boucher because of his script editor work on Blake 7. That's obvious. But Chris Boucher has not quite unique, but getting up there unique contribution in that, in my view, his three stories are three for three in terms of absolute classics particularly The Robots of Death. This is a story that is regularly in fans' top five, if not top ten. Uh, Image of the Fendal, I think, is a really good spooky story. And The Face of Evil, or I, I, I like to use the uh, working title, The Day That God Went Mad, I just think, again, is a really clever script. And all of his scripts are clever. They they are witty in, in the days before Moffat and before RTD. They are, the dialogue is, is, again, written in this really clever natural but funny way the scenarios that he creates are good the world building that Bouch creates is is second almost to none you look at how he creates the world in the robots of death and we know what this planet is we know that there are cities we know there are founding families and how the social dynamics work and Mm, and all that and he does it without ever doing exposition dumps so Chris Boucher, number three. Look, we've had no snaps yet, so it's obvious that I think the snaps are coming. <laughs> okay. I have got at number two, Robert Holmes. Okay. And look, everything that you said, Rob, I, I concur with. We can't create these lists and not have Robert Holmes on them. Had we not snapped on Robert Holmes, I would have been utterly, utterly shocked. <laughs> the as show I would have been over. Was, yeah, I, th- I think we would have had to cancel each other. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, Robert Holmes, look, everybody listening, I'm sure, knows how good he is and how many classics he wrote and how many classics he edited, what a brilliant writer he was, how inventive he was, how his very uh, dark and adult sense of humour occasionally crept in, things that you don't notice when you're a kid and then suddenly go, did he just make a reference? Did he just say what I thought he... Wow. <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot to his writing. So he is uh, number two on my list. And look, it was very tight, but in the end... I did put Malcolm Hulk at number one. Right, yeah. Robert Holmes is equally worthy of the number one. I'm glad you had him at number one so they can each share those honours. The reason I went with Hulk is because... And maybe Hulk is slightly unfairly advantaged in that he has a smaller body of work, so it's easier to maintain a standard. But I do think Hulk maintained a standard over all of his work. I can't think of a weak Malcolm Hulk story. I can think of weak... Robert Holmes stories, particularly at the start and the end of his his mm. his run. Yeah. Um, so so I put Hulk above him for that. And, and again, as you said with Malcolm Hulk, the characters, the ideas. You think of something like the Silurians, and you have those different types of Silurians, all with different personalities. Something like Colony in Space, which some people might say is one of his weaker stories, I think is extraordinarily good. And in that, you have. All these different shades of baddie. Caldwell is a different type of baddie to Dent, who's a different type of baddie to, you know, the the others. And and the goodies are, are different shades. There's, you know, the nice, lovable Robert Ash, and then there's the slightly harder-edged and a bit more violent Winton. It's all different shades. And again, you're right with his politics. We have to talk about that. Yeah. 
Invasion of the Dinosaurs, a favourite story of mine. Yes, that is political. As a six-year-old, I didn't really notice. I, I kind of got a, a broad conservation message, which is good. And as an adult, you, you appreciate that the message in there is extremism is dangerous. Mm. He's not saying left-wing extremism is dangerous, right-wing extremism is dangerous. He's not saying the solution to conservation is we need to have a carbon tax, we need to have more technology, we need to... Sub- no, no, it's, it's just very broad feelings of extremism is bad, conservation's good, and here are some cool dinosaurs and some great villains. And that's the wonder of Malcolm Hulk. So, mm. Rob, two snaps, probably the obvious snaps, I think. I think so. I thought we might have had more, though. Yeah. Look, we could very easily have had more. Everyone on your list was on my list of possibles. Uh, names that we haven't mentioned as well that are on my list, Ian Briggs, who wrote two good stories, and I think one one really classic story in The Curse of Fenric. Rona Munro, one story, but it's really good. Robert Banks Stewart, I felt really bad I couldn't get in there because he, mm. wrote, he wrote like an absolute classic in Seeds of Doom, and pretty good if not another classic in terror of the zygons there there were a lot to choose from uh any that you feel bad about leaving out rob oh, no I, I i felt pretty comfortable with my, i mean boucher was floating around and i thought well yeah he did a few stories and i thought well hang on i put a ronovich in here and he only did two so <laughs> you know maybe maybe but no no i'm pretty happy i mean some of those early 60s writers too like luca roddy you know who i sort of came to through target novels like Luca Roddy novelised the, the massacre, didn't he? I think. Yes, he did, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, so I would see John Luca Roddy's name on Target novels originally, which is how I sort of came to know him first. And, and, and so I'd say, yeah, yeah, there are some, some interesting dudes floating around. Whitaker, of course, you know, they've all done important stuff. And, and what I think is really interesting when you look across this list of, uh, what is it, nine nominations that we've made, it's a lot of character written stuff and also a lot of good adventure and when you when you say Aronovich and again I, I, I thought about Aronovich I actually do think he's very spiritually in the same vein as Terry Nation in that he's writing really good adventures I think both Battlefield and particularly Remembrance are really good adventures but he's also got again those those character moments um, Mike Smith is a really interesting and real character Ratcliffe is a really interesting uh, horrific, but very scarily real character. Mm. Oh, absolutely. And look, uh, what really won it for me, as I said, is just where that fell in Doctor Who history. Uh, the, the Colin thing happened. Sylvester's first series wasn't so great. But then, bugger me, bang, the first story of the next series, it's this, it's Remembrance of the Daleks, it's amazing. You know, and he just lifted me and I think a lot of the viewing audience up out of their stupor. And it was like, Doctor Who can be great. Here it is. Here's the proof. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Douglas Adams, he made number two on your list. He didn't make mine, but he was in my list of considerations. I I want to tease out a bit. How much is that because it's Douglas Adams? How much is it because you love his scripts? And how much is it because he just script edited a really fun ear of the show? Or is it all of that? Well, it is all of that. I mean, I began my spiel by saying, you know, how can we have a man like Douglas Adams involved with <laughs> yeah, Doctor yeah, Who yeah. and not mention him? Yeah. You know, particularly if there's any listeners out there who don't realise that Douglas Adams wrote and, and script edited for Doctor Who. Yeah, he really did, guys. He's one of us, you know, and that, that should just be celebrated forevermore, you know, because Douglas Adams is fantastic. But yeah, like I say, when I was a kid, the his stories, which I would find quite silly, I wasn't as into as I am now. 
maybe I just get them more, maybe I've mellowed. I don't know what it is, but I quite enjoy the uh, the contrast. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think of something like the Pirate Planet. Yeah. And, and, and I enjoyed it as a kid, but I didn't really get it as a kid. And then you watch it as an adult, and, and, and some of those jokes are... I mean, I mean they are absolutely imperial phase mm. Douglas Adams stuff. Um, you know, all that stuff with the induction corridor and everything. It's just, even when you've seen it a dozen times, it's still laugh out loud hilarious. Oh, yeah. This is still Douglas Adams as an up-and-comer, you know, a young thrusting... Is that the expression? It sounds quite <laughs> rude. You know, you know what I mean? A young thrusting guy, you know, really working hard and not sort of, you know, resting back on his laurels like he might have done more into the mid-80s, late-80s, that sort of thing. Like, oh, I'm Douglas Adams. I can take you know, however long I want to write this book or whatever. This is still Douglas Adams working hard at his craft, you, you know, in a position where Doctor Who, which wouldn't have had the biggest of budgets, could grab him as a script editor and he was willing to do it. That wouldn't have happened a decade later in his career. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting as I look across both our lists, it is weighted very heavily towards the 70s. Mm. Um, you know, pick picks like Hulk, Holmes, Boucher... Adams and the like, you know, a lot of our big picks, dicks, are very much from the 70s, which perhaps does reflect that sort of, you know, inverted commas, golden era of who. I've got a couple there from the 60s, Luke Roddy, Whitaker particularly. The 80s, not so much represented. No, no, outside of Aronovich. But I think you're right, because it, it is the golden age of Doctor Who. You can find great stuff in the 60s, you can find great stuff in the 80s, but for that consistent decade... It's the 70s. That's where the good stuff happened. It's, it's a fact. And, and I do wonder, if you took scripts by Ian Briggs and Ben Aronovich and Rona Munro, you know, those, those later era McCoy scripts, and had them produced by Philip Hinchcliffe on the budget that Hinchcliffe had, like the, 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 the comparable budget that he had, which was considerably more than they were dealing with in the 80s, mm. would, would that have elevated a lot of their work to the point that they would be considered a lot more like, like, like. I guess what I'm saying is, does production affect how we judge the script and the writers? Oh, I think so. You know, pr- production, which I include direction in that as well. Yeah. You know, casting. Cause I, yeah, because I I was recently watching a story. I won't say from what era it was, but it's for something we're doing on the sh- on the other show, and. I looked at the direction and I thought, this is directed like a stage play. This is just bizarre, Mm -hmm. you know, and the stories either side of it in the same season, I thought these are, these don't feel like stage plays at all. Yet they're, they're both in studios. You know, what's the difference? It is the direction. Some of them are directed very dynamically. Others are directed like it's a, you know, a year 12 stage play for the parents. You know, it's, 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 it's a huge thing. Yes. Yeah. Like for example, you look at Boucher's three stories, they are all superbly cast mm. and, and directed. And I think that that does help to elevate dialogue in the way that some other stories aren't. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Rob, we are well and truly running up to our 20-minute time limit on this one. So mm-hmm. it is now time to pull another topic from Turlow's Hat of Rassilon. Here we go. And reminder to our listeners, please do submit ideas to us via email or Facebook or Twitter or however you want. And the topic for next month, Rob, is top five. This is a complicated one. Okay. Top five stories, not a standard TV story. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm turning that around in my head. Yes. Okay. So, um, sure. There's a lot of options out there, actually. 
Ah, Top five stories that are not a TV story. Fantastic. Well, we're out of time, but there are lists. I've been Dave. And I've been Rob. And we'll make some more lists soon. Bye now. Goodbye.